Praise the Lord. All right, so chapter 6, Luke, we're doing 11 verses, so that's pretty good. That, that's fast for me. I, I, I can preach on one verse, but we decided to get crazy today. So in this passage, you probably picked up on the fact, as I read, or as uh, Catherine read, I would say maybe uh, you, you might disagree, but I think it's kind of a showdown between the Pharisees and Jesus. It's the showdown between uh, the Pharisees who think they are righteous in their own eyes and Jesus, who really is the only one righteous in God's eyes. And this isn't the first time that Jesus has done this. If you guys remember, you probably don't, that's okay. But if you remember Luke chapter 4, we read about Jesus doing this on the Sabbath before. He, he, did, he healed a demon-possessed man. Now, he even healed Peter's mother-in-law on the Sabbath. And so this, this healing and these miracles on the Sabbath, it's catching the religious leader's attention. But... What's the big deal, right? What's the big deal anyways? Why is everybody getting so upset that Jesus is doing these things on the Sabbath? Well, if you remember, what is the Sabbath? It's a day of rest, right? God worked six days and then he rested. By the way, not because he was tired, but because he was done. And so he rested. He rested on the seventh day. And as God rested on the seventh day, so were his people to rest on the seventh day for a Sabbath rest. And so you don't do any work on that day. And most of us, even if we don't understand everything about the Jewish religion, we kind of get that, right? They, they follow the Sabbath. It's a major part of their faith. And the list is actually pretty long for what consists of work or what doesn't consist as work. One of the times I was in Israel, I remember... Uh, there was a time that we were at a hotel on the Sabbath. And in Israel, and those of you that went on that trip with me, you remember this, they have the Shabbat elevator or the Sabbath elevator. And this elevator uh, is really slow on the Sabbath. In fact, I was going to get on it and the guy at the front desk said, oh, no, no, you don't want to go on that elevator. And then he explained to me that that elevator uh, stops at every floor on the Sabbath, opens the doors, closes the doors. Well, why would this elevator do that? Because they consider pushing the button uh, to be work because you can't create a fire on the Sabbath and, and starting that electricity, having the light turn on, having the doors open. Uh, now you're doing work. And so to be able to honor the Sabbath, you don't push that button and, and the door just opens up at every floor. And so here we are. Uh, 2,000 years ago, the Sabbath, the disciples are walking along and they're picking, if you remember what Catherine said, those heads of grain. And what are they doing? They're rubbing them in their hands. And then after they rub them in their hands, they eat the grain. And they're doing this, why? Because they are, they're hungry. Yeah, two points. They are hungry. But then the, the Pharisees, they quickly rise up. They accuse them, you know, you're doing that, which is unlawful. And again, I don't have time to go too deep into all this. But why is it unlawful? Because by now, by, by Jesus' time, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the laws, they had added uh, a lot of rules, a, a lot of um, laws and rules to the Torah. They, they call it a hedge around the Torah regarding the Sabbath, around the Sabbath. And uh, uh, an author, Alfred Eiderstein, he actually says they got a little ridiculous. He actually accuses the scribes of having terribly exaggerated views of the Sabbath and endless burdensome rules. And so... For, for the Pharisees, track with me if you can. So plucking those heads of wheat, that would be reaping. So that would be considered work. And rubbing them in their hands, 
uh, for all you wheat farmers out there, that would be a threshing. So that's work as well. And so these Pharisees, they're saying this, these disciples of Jesus, they are working. And so they're mad. They're mad. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus appeals to the story of King David. Right? He, he kind of goes on and, and reminds them of what David and his companions did when they were hungry. In fact, he says that they ate, if you remember this, the consecrated bread that actually wasn't lawful for anyone to eat except, if you remember, the priests, right? Only the priests could eat that bread. Now, I think there's a lot to be said about why Jesus specifically used that story, but one of the things, I, main things I want you to hear today is just that Jesus is showing us, I would say, one of the things, that God is more concerned about meeting human needs than he is about protecting all these religious rules. Because even on the Sabbath, Jesus quotes this in another book, he says that a man could untie his ox, you remember that part? Untie his ox or his donkey and lead it to get a drink of water on the Sabbath. So you could take care of your animal and how much more uh, take care of a human, right? Better that David and his men would receive that strength to be able to serve and honor their God than to perish for the sake of a law. When you read this account in the book of Mark, and I I tried to look at the different accounts in in the various Gospels, Jesus adds something that I think kind of goes along these lines. He says the Sabbath, and you've heard this before, he says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. I think he's kind of saying, like, for the Pharisees and the scribes, that they're missing the whole point of the Sabbath anyways, right? The Sabbath, it wasn't about making a bunch of rules that people could barely follow. The the Sabbath, it was a good thing. Can we all agree that the Sabbath was a good thing? It came from God, a command of God, a demonstration of God's compassion on, on the world, on humans, on animals, that they could enter into this rest one day every week. And you can also kind of tell that Jesus, the way he's talking, I think he's frustrated with what these religious leaders have done to his father's good command of keeping the Sabbath. Do you get that a little bit? That he might be just a tad bit frustrated of what they've done to his father's good commands of keeping the Sabbath. I I wonder how often Jesus might be frustrated with people like me, today's religious leaders, with what I have done with his command. You ever think about that? Oh, man, when you get to heaven, you're like, oh, I missed that one, didn't I, Lord? Sorry about that. Grace. Oh, grace. Praise the Lord. As you read today's passage, you can feel it. I, I'm just, as this week, as I was diving into this passage, you can just feel it. And, and you see, I would say it this way, um, the religious leaders are taking the joy out of the Sabbath. You might want to write that down. The religious leaders are taking the joy out of the Sabbath. Have you ever met someone before who takes the joy out of following the Lord? Do not mention them by name. <laughs> right? We all know what that's like. In our daily reading plan this week, uh, remember the prophet? The, it was like chapter upon chapter upon chapter. What prophet was that? Anyone remember? It starts with an I. Isaiah, that's right. Isaiah 58, listen to what Isaiah says about the Sabbath. He says, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interest on that day. But what? Say it with me. Enjoy the Sabbath. Enjoy the Sabbath. Speak of the Sabbath with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath and everything you do on that day. Don't follow your own desires. Don't talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. And I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. You know, as you read the Gospels, 
I don't think you ever get the impression that the Pharisees enjoyed the Sabbath. You ever, does that ever come across? Like, wow, they're really happy. Like, they're really enjoying it. No. And does it ever look like they speak of it with delight? Now, I would say it's the opposite. It feels like more of a burden, right? It feels maybe even more like a prison. For us today, most of us are not strict in keeping the Sabbath, which would be that last day of the week. Uh, so it would be Friday sunset all the way through Saturday sunset. And my message today isn't even about keeping the Sabbath, but I do think this scene, it gives us a good picture. It gives us this opportunity to, get, to consider in our own lives what our regular times with the Lord, our times of rest with Him and in Him, what do they look like? Think about that. Are they times where you enjoy Him? Are they times where you delight in Him? Or have those times become corrupted? Or maybe they're more about you following a list of rules and regulations, a burden for you to carry. For us as church, what day do we meet on? Sunday. You, you got it right because you're here. So way to go. We meet on Sunday, the Lord's Day. And we've been celebrating, right, for over 2,000 years that early on a Sunday morning. That grave, who was in the grave? Yeah, no, he, he actually rose from the grave. He, he, Sunday morning, it was empty, right? Just maybe an angel, but nobody else. Jesus had risen. And every week for 2,000 years, what do we do on Sunday mornings? We're so, the Lord's Day that He is alive. And as He is alive, I am alive. And so places like this, the worship, I, I loved worship today, but that's how it should be. Places like this are places of great joy, of great celebration, where what? We sing and we delight in Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel. That's how people are always commenting. Like I've been doing this 15 years. People are always like, "Man, well, how can you be so excited?" But come on, like, do you know? No, you don't know what the Lord has saved me from. Do you know what the Lord has rescued me from? I have been delivered from death and destruction. Yeah, the Israelites. It was awesome. They were delivered from slavery in Egypt, but I was delivered from slavery to sin. I'm a new person, as Shannon said. I'm a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. I'm born again. I'm living now and forever, eternally with my Creator. Church, it's a good day. And what is your attitude, right? What is your attitude toward these times of rest in His presence? Do we engage as a Pharisee externally, right? Just always trying to follow the rules, Trying to look good on the outside. Oh, and then also you got to always make sure that everybody else is following all the rules. Or do you engage as a disciple who's enjoying, in pleasure, enjoying the experience of walking with Jesus? Now in the passage he keeps talking and, and Jesus says, it's pretty good. He says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What a statement that, what an infuriating statement that must have been to these religious Leaders, because you know they're pretty critical of him, and his response to their criticism of his disciples not keeping the Sabbath isn't like, oh wow, like thanks for pointing that out. Hey, disciples, you know, don't do that again. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, you know, actually, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the master of this day. And not only you know in a church like this, not only do we believe that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, we even believe that what Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our rest, and yet they completely missed it. They missed it, right? They, they didn't understand who was standing right in front of them. 
that Jesus supplies everything. On that Sabbath day, He supplies what that Sabbath was meant to give us. What we, the Sabbath was meant to give God's people. Jesus does all of that for us and so much more. He gives us what? Peace and rest, renewal, regeneration, communion, fellowship with God. All of those things now found in Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. I I kind of was like, man, there's a thousand different ways I could go with this sermon. I'm trying to stick on one specific road because all of this got me thinking, especially this week. I I don't know why, but it just got me thinking, where do I, Daniel Allen Bursch, where do I get caught up in the laws and the regulations of religion that possibly might cause me to miss it all? Right? Where you're trying to keep the Sabbath, but the whole time you're ignoring the Lord of the Sabbath. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, does that make sense? Where my passion is following the law when the whole time I ignore the spirit of the law. Where I'm tr- busy. I'm just so busy. I'm working hard. I'm trying to work for Jesus. Working for Jesus. Never spending any time with Jesus. People like me were, were passionate rule followers. And I needed a rebel to marry. And praise the Lord for Mary. She's awesome. But people like me who are passionate rule followers, we, we need to check our hearts in this area because it is so easy to slip into this kind of spirit or this kind of attitude. Just give you some examples where you're reading the Bible and the act of reading the Bible every day and never missing a day has become more important than what you're actually reading. Have you ever done that? I know I have, right? Where you, you're just so good at reading the Bible and yet your heart is so far from the Lord that there's no change, there's no transformation that takes place. But hey, I can check the box. I read the Bible. Right? I did my reading for the day. Maybe church attendance. Church attendance. Maybe you're flawless, right? You got the plaque. It's on the wall. You never missed a Sunday. And yet your heart is too closed off. Your heart is too hardened to actually receive anything from the Lord during those services. Or maybe you pray. And when you pray, oh man, there has never been a pray prayer like your prayer. In fact, if there was a ranking system, if there were medals, you would get the gold medal for the most eloquent, flowing, churchy, Christian-sounding prayer. And yet that was never meant to be prayer, right? What is prayer? Prayer is a real conversation with God birthed out of a real relationship with God. And By the way, I, I think this is where the term legalism might come into play. Because it's not, by the way, it's not the keeping of all these laws that makes something legalistic. It's not wrong to follow rules. But what makes it legalistic is that attitude of pride that goes with following those rules where I now congratulate myself for keeping certain external standards and condemning others for not keeping them. Where I think that following all these rules makes me acceptable to God. Where I decide that my spirituality is based on my ability to conform to all these rules. And where it doesn't even really matter if my heart is maybe full of, I don't know, pride or lust or greed. But what matters is I just got to keep those rules, right? As long as I'm keeping the rules, just keep those Sabbath rules. And yet we know as we read and we study the life of Jesus, that's almost the complete opposite of what he's actually looking for he isn't as concerned about the outside conformity as he is about what's going on in the inside he cares so much about your heart and my heart later on jesus says this in in luke 11 he says you pharisees he goes you guys are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the outside of the dish right to make the outside to look so good he goes but you inside you are filthy 
full of greed and full of wickedness. So that's a good check for my heart. Am I living as a Pharisee, good on the outside but full of dead men's bones on the inside? Or am I living as a disciple of Jesus who's being changed, transformed from the inside out? So good. Verse 6, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue. Again, Jesus, he was teaching. A man was there. His right hand was shriveled. So this is a different day, right? This is another Sabbath. He does what he normally does on the Sabbath, which is what? He goes into the synagogue and he teaches. And there's a man there with a shriveled hand. All right, verse 7. Pharisees, teachers of the law, they're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watch him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, this is crazy. Right? The Pharisees, the teachers of the laws, there they are at Sabbath and they're taking every opportunity possible that they could take to accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. And so they see a man who might need healed, right? The man has a shriveled hand. And then they see Jesus. It's almost like they got the popcorn saying, what is Jesus going to do next? But don't you love Jesus? Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the shriveled hand, he says, hey, get up. Stand in front of everyone. So he got up and he stood there. I love that. I mean, instead of like, Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he said to the man with the shriveled hand, let us hide. Let's go in the closet and do the miracle where no one's going to look. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, no, I want you to stand up in front of everyone. Don't you love Jesus, church? He's not afraid of nobody. Now just remember, life spring, Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus didn't get caught by the Pharisees like, oh, no, the Pharisees are here. No, Jesus knows exactly what the Pharisees are thinking and what they are waiting for. And Jesus makes sure, get on up, because I want everyone to have a good view of what I'm about to do. Praise the Lord. Verse 9, Jesus says to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Everyone stays silent watching Jesus. So he looks around at them all. And he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And his hand was completely restored. And everyone began to praise God. No, verse 11, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were furious. And they began to discuss with one another what they might do Jesus. Why are they furious? Again, Jesus, he's healed a man on the Sabbath, worked on the Sabbath, and this is crazy. A miracle has just occurred. A man has been healed. It should have resulted in praise and glory, and yet people immediately began to discuss, how can we get rid of this guy? And church, I think that's how religion can be so dangerous. I mean, that's just a perfect example of how religion can be so dangerous. I remember I was in high school, and a friend of mine who was, I went to school with, and his parents went to a meeting where they were prayed for. And as they were prayed for, they happened to fall down. Under the weight of God's wonderful, glorious presence, they fell over. Well, the church that they regularly attended, they found out about this. And they told that couple that they had to renounce that experience. They had to say that that experience was of the devil or they'd be kicked out of the church. And so for this family, they had one of the most powerful experiences they have ever had. I would say a life-defining moment like a shriveled hand being healed. And yet when their religious leaders found out about it, they weren't filled with awe and wonder. There wasn't praise and celebration. They didn't put it on the newsletter on Facebook. Instead, they said, no. These are all the reasons why it doesn't fit our list of rules and regulations. And so where there should have been rejoicing, 
There was instead, I remember it, intense tears and sorrows because they had to either renounce the experience or move on and get kicked out of that church. It challenges me. It kind of makes me think because we got some rules here. You know that? But you didn't even know some of them, but we got regulations. Some of them aren't even in the Bible. They're just rules. Just rules we follow. One of those rules is if you're leading something on a Sunday morning, like if you're up here, you're doing announcements or you're preaching or leading worship, that we don't wear shorts up on stage. Not a biblical rule, but it's a rule. And if you've noticed, I would just say this. We have an older congregation, a little bit more conservative, and I wouldn't want shirts or wardrobe to be a distraction keeping you guys from receiving what the Lord has for you. But if a guest preacher, let's say he comes, comes from Hawaii, and he's wearing some great shorts, and as he spoke, let's say, I mean, dozens of people give their lives to the Lord, dozens more receive their prayer language, just a great revival breaks out. Would I be over here and be like... <clears throat> can't believe he wore shorts. Pastor Wayne, I knew, I told you to tell him not to. What? Come on, right? That's crazy. Would I be griping or would I be celebrating the great, awesome thing that the Lord did through him? Just put yourself in that scene with the Pharisees and Jesus. You know, what would have your reaction been to what Jesus did? Would you, would you have been consumed and just so full of just following the rules and regulations like the scribes? Um, or would you have been... Or actually, or would you have been able to recognize? Would you have been able to see? I, I, uh, there's other parts in the Bible where it says that the scribes and the Pharisees, they were blinded. And I, I, I think sometimes as a religious leader, I'm blinded. I, am I able to see? Am I able to recognize? Wow, someone, and, and even today during worship, I was thinking about this. Someone who is greater than all of my rules and regulations is here. And he, in this moment, is worthy to be celebrated and worshipped. And if someone else responds, in worship to the Lord. That person isn't for me to come down as a religious leader and condemn that person, but instead to celebrate them. Church, do you understand the challenge I'm talking about today? And I bring this up because I just don't want us to miss it. You know, one of the things that life spring, I like, I want to shake it up because I, I don't want us to get into routine where it's just like, oh, I went to church, then I left church. It's like, church, we're in the middle of something right now. We're in the middle of a revival of what God wants to do in the Seattle area that he did not give up on us, but he loves the Pacific Northwest and he is sending leaders, talented people here because why? Not because he wants to send people to hell, but because he wants them to be saved and live with him forever. And so we got to be awake. We've got to have our eyes open to what Jesus is doing. I don't want us to miss what Jesus is doing. I don't want our rules and our regulations to miss what God is doing. And the Pharisees, the leaders of the day, church, they just missed it. They had the true Sabbath, Sabbath rest right in front of their eyes. And they missed it. What about us? What about us? In Hebrews 4, the, the author of Hebrews, he talks about there being a Sabbath rest that we are able to enter because of faith, because of believing in the good news. Verse 9 and 10 of chapter 4, the Bible says this, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever enters God's rest also ceases from his labors as God did from his. And I, right, that's what the true Sabbath is, right? To cease from our own labors, our own efforts, our own activity, to cease from our own works. And praise the Lord, that's what Jesus offers us. That's the songs that we sing, right? We no longer are relying on our own works, our own efforts like those Pharisees, but instead 
Who do we depend upon? We depend upon the work of Christ. So we're done working, right? Another one is now working in us and through us. That's what we believe. That's what Paul says. He says, not I, but Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, right? It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Philippians says, it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. That's one of the greatest parts of being a Christian. We no longer depend on ourselves. Praise the Lord to make it through life. Instead, we rest and we depend upon the activity, the work of another who is in us. That's the true Sabbath. Where we rest in Him, depending on His work and His power that moves through us. It reminds me of Matthew 11. You guys have all heard this before. 11, 28 through 30. This is Jesus talking. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. And you will find, he says it again, rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. These religious leaders, leaders, they had just put on such a heavy yoke on the people, again with hundreds of laws, adding to them all the time to where it was impossible to follow. Or it was just impossible. You could not successfully carry that burden. And yet Jesus comes into that system and he says, you know what, follow me. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And many of the Pharisees missed it. Some of them actually did follow Jesus, but most of them missed it. They missed it. Their passion to follow their version of the Sabbath, it caused them unable. They were blind. They could not see the Lord of the Sabbath. I want to close with this. Where has your religion or rituals blinded you? Right? Where have your rituals, where have your routines caused you to miss the point? Just in... Sunday mornings, but I'm just talking about through the week. I mean, your life. Where have your rituals, your routines just caused you to miss the point of it all? And, and I'm not against religion. Like, I work. I'm a religious worker. Like, here I am. No, no. I like religion. It's fine. Rituals, routines, all can be beneficial. But when our passion becomes more about the rituals of the religion than what the religion is even about in the first place, church, we've missed it. I don't want to miss it. I felt like this week, and it was so beautiful. God is so good. Jesus is so good to me. He's patient with me, praise the Lord. But he's also just good. I felt like he was calling me back, and it was just the sweetness of his grace. It was this freshness, the fresh simplicity of following Jesus. That if what I'm doing as a religious leader isn't pointing people to Jesus, then guess what? It's not worth doing. If I'm not more like Christ, if I don't have more of the fruit of the Spirit dripping all over me after I'm done with the ritual, guess what? It's not worth doing. We are about Jesus. All our eggs, you can finish it, right, are in one basket. And may everything we do point to Him, to His work on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, and His eternal life that He offers each and every one of us who believe in Him. Getting back to Jesus. Come on. Praise the Lord. I'm going to invite Braden back up. Worship team, would you come on up too? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we are box checkers. (laughs) That's not who we are. Lord, checking a box won't save us. It won't save us. And and Pastor Dan asked me to... um, do the response for this morning. 
And this whole survey, I was like, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And he just said, we're not, we're not box checkers here. That's not what this is about. We're not, we're not here to come to church to say, hey, look, I'm doing my job. I'm doing my job. I'm, I'm, I, oh, I prayed this morning. Oh, I read my Bible this morning. That's not what we're here for. We're here for the real thing. We're here for Jesus. We're here for a relationship with the Father that loves us. That's why we're here. And if it's not, let's get our heart right. Let's get our heart right this morning. Let's say, Jesus, where we have been checking the box, this morning we say to you that, Jesus, we're doing these things not so we can say we're doing them, but so we can have a deeper relationship with you. That's why. That's why I wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning, and that's why I pray to you. That's why I wake up at 9 a.m. in the morning, and that's why I read the word until my heart gets happy. Not so I say yes, and I did it. So Jesus comes and fills me up for my day. That is why I do that. And I, I just feel right now that there are some people in this room that right now they just need to check their heart. And it's me too, that there's areas in all of our hearts maybe that we've just been walking through this religious thing and kind of been drifting away from Jesus. But I feel like there's also people in this room that are going through some really hard things. And like the Pharisees, you want to look all, okay, I'm okay, I'm good, I'm good, I follow Jesus, I go to church, I read my Bible. But there are some deep things, there's addictions. There's depression. There's anxiety. There's things you're walking through that you don't really want anyone to know, but you're just trying to gut, gut through it and get through it. And you know, when Pastor Dan was reading that verse, one thing stood out to me. You know, you know the guy, and, and, and Jesus said, hey, you with the crippled hand, come up, stand up. Do you know, he just did it. He went up with his deficiency, with his sickness, with his brokenness, and he went up in front of everyone and said, hey, look, look at my hand. I am broken. I am not perfect. I have problems. But guess what? Jesus is going to heal me in front of all of you. That is what he does. That is what he does. And so can I have people, the prayer people come up uh, that have been sent to pray? A couple people come up. And here's what I want to do. I want to go through this song. And if you just, if you just want to check your heart and see where I've been following religion. But if some of you have that deep hurt, that deep depression, addictions, we're not ashamed. But Jesus today wants you to come up and receive prayer. And he wants to see healing. He wants to see healing this morning. Like the withered hand, he wants you to come up and say, yeah, I'm struggling. I don't care if everyone in this room sees I'm struggling, and I want Jesus to heal me. And that's going to take a step of faith. So, Lord, right now, this morning, we give our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, would you come? We, we invite you here. You are here. You are here. Lord, we check our hearts. We, Lord, we, we, during this time, Lord, show us where we've missed a step. Show us how good you are again. Show us where, we, where we're following religion and not you. Jesus, give us all we need. And Lord, this morning, give us the courage and the strength to respond. But we need to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd even say-